What's up everyone, this is Emmanuel and you're listening to Crypto Testers, the podcast focusing all things product in the crypto industry. In this episode, I talk to Benjamin Jones, the CEO of Bitwalla. You probably know Bitwalla by now as they have sponsored this podcast pretty much since the beginning. Bitwalla is in a unique position because they are both a bank and a crypto wallet. They are really between the two worlds. So I asked Ben for his thoughts on how these two worlds will coexist in the future. Because if you look at the world of decentralized finance that is happening on Ethereum, the whole point is to remove banks. He had very interesting thoughts on this topic and how banks could adapt to this changing landscape. But before we jump into the show, I want to thank our sponsor, Bitwalla. Bitwalla is Germany's crypto flagship company. They offer users in Europe a full-fledged bank account, including deposit insurance and other things, as well as an integrated Bitcoin and Ethereum wallet. So using Bitwalla, you can move your money seamlessly between your euros and your crypto. They keep on adding new features such as their recently launched Bitcoin interest account, allowing users to earn interest on their Bitcoin. I highly recommend you check them out. I will post a link in the show notes. Hey, Ben. Hey, how's it going? Very good, very good. Yeah, I'm super happy to finally have you on this podcast since you're also the sponsor of this podcast. I think if you live in Germany, like I do, it's pretty hard to miss Bitwalla, but maybe for the listeners in the US, it would be nice to hear a bit more about your company and also yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Ben. I'm the CEO, CTO, and one of the three co-founders of Bitwalla. I grew up in the UK, but I've been living in Berlin for the last eight years. And yeah, most of that time has been dedicated to Bitwalla. So we are the world's first cryptocurrency bank account. So at the end of 2018, we launched the world's first bank account with integrated cryptocurrency trading. And we see the future for us going very much in the direction of decentralized finance and basically giving a greater access to more people of the benefits of blockchain-based finance that we see evolving today. Was that always the initial business idea for Bitwalla or was there another idea first? Because I remember reading something about yeah, an initial idea and also the co-founders have changed since then, some have left. What was the initial product about? Yeah, it's a really crazy story and one that spans quite some years. I would say what has been consistent in that time is that we have always been seeing ourselves philosophically as the bridge between two worlds. So between uh, crypto and, and fiat and uh, banking and blockchain. And it sounds relatively obvious today, but back in the early days, I got into crypto around 2013. We were in places like Room 77, the famous Bitcoin bar in Berlin, and we were honestly believing that Bitcoin would replace uh, Visa and MasterCard. Uh, Bitcoin would replace banks. You know, it was like, hey, we have something better now to down with the banks. So I would say the, the early community um, had very much a philosophical idea, or at least a segment of them, that cryptocurrency was going to replace the existing system rather than enhance it. And we always held very strongly that blockchain as a technology, cryptocurrency as a currency would be a tool to make our existing system radically better. I mean, I think that is a more widely accepted viewpoint at this time. If we look at the early days of Bitwalla, I, I met Jorgen Jan in 2013 as a freelance programmer and then um, quickly uh, became a, a co-founder after that. We actually started off as a consultancy. I think we were probably the, the first 
crypto consultancy in the world or one of them. And he went to some of the big, big companies, uh, including, including Deutsche Bank, and said, hey, look, this is this amazing technology. You can use it to send any amount of value anywhere in the world instantly and for free. And they said, oh, yeah, that's really cool. We'll totally look at that. But, you know, guess what happened? Nothing. Big banks aren't going to disrupt themselves. And then we actually got a piece of advice from Roger Ver, the founder of, of Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin Cash. And he said, it's way too early to be, be consultants in this space. It's just not mature enough. So go, go solve problems by yourself, right? Don't help, help other people solve problems. So yeah, we, we listened to Roger Ver and we became a company builder under the name of um, Bitcoins Berlin. We created a number of different projects. These ranged from selling uh, cryptocurrency t-shirts, like we had Kill Bills, you know, with Kill Bill, to uh, a shopping concierge site, all for BTC, where you could send us a link of something on Amazon or eBay, and then we would buy it for you if you sent us a crypto. Like, a, like so you basically allowing you to spend crypto anywhere. We had um, the, Europe's first electronic store with cryptocurrency, and we had this whole range of projects. I think we, we sold gold as well. And it was very much uh, an experimental phase, like create lots of things, throw them at the wall and see what sticks. Our customers of all for BTC, that was the shopping site, they really liked it, but they started asking, well, I don't just want to buy something uh, like a TV with my Bitcoin. I want to be able to pay my rent or my phone bill, or even send money abroad. And then we realized we had to evolve, we had to mature, and we weren't just connecting, uh, we weren't just solving the spendability of Bitcoin, we were rather creating a bridge between traditional financial services and cryptocurrency. Then we had Bitwala 1.0, that was uh, end of 2015, that's when we began to professionalize, and we got a seed funding round from DCG, Digital Currency Group, amongst others. And the first product was prepaid uh, debit cards, and bank transfers to 22 countries funded by cryptocurrency. So it was kind of um, like a, a, a very sophisticated off-ramp for cryptocurrency. This was going pretty well. We got another funding round, um, grew the team. And then at the beginning of 2018, we had this disaster situation where our company was taken offline by the Wavecrest debacle. So Wavecrest was the, uh, the issuer of the prepaid debit cards to many people in the space. It's included 10X, um, Bitstamp. Wirex also at some point, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, it was just a disaster for us. So back then, the players who were willing to work with cryptocurrency companies were less reputable than others. And so we basically only had, only had one choice. It was this Wavecrest. And then without any warning one day, our colleague actually got a WhatsApp message saying, hey, it's, it's over pretty much. And we had no warning, but suddenly all of our cards stopped working and all of our customers' funds are trapped inside the cards, right? So it's like a complete nightmare. Um, and then later on that month, our banking partner basically said, you're doing too much volume with us. And then they cut us off. And so very, very quickly, we just lost our entire startup, like the traction, the product. It was a really horrible time. And um, we probably would have gone bankrupt and given up at that point. If we weren't in the middle of funding cycles, you know, as a startup, you raise capital and you grow a bit and you raise more capital, et cetera. So we were lucky with the timing. And then we kind of had this really weird meeting in a bar in Kreuzberg. We all like were nursing beers, like kind of recovering from the shock and the adrenaline of what had happened. And we were like, yeah, like what, what should we do next? Like, like, you know, let's, let's build that thing we always wanted to build. And then we began to see this kind of catastrophe as an opportunity. The whole of 2018, we were working towards the second version of Bitwala. Um, so that's a bank account product that you see today. And two things I'm really proud of, we, we kept our entire team during that year. So even though the startup was really sinking by anyone's external standards, 
I don't think many people thought we'd get out of that hole. We kept the whole team. And we also managed to raise a 4 million uh, late seed round from, from Early Bird, who's one of the seed investors in, in N26. And then, yeah, it was also kind of nice to what, be offline for a year because you get to focus entirely on building opposed to operations, right? Developers are, are torn between building cool features and solving problems for existing customers. And when you're purely offline, you can just focus on building something up from, from the ground. And uh, we could throw away, away a lot of debt. So tech debt, uh, legal debt, um, we even kind of shifted our legal entities a little bit to be uh, 100% in Germany. And it was, a, it was a good year. And then finally we went live, end of 2018. Um, yeah, and then since then we've been growing strong. We're now about 70 people. I'm headquartered in, in Kreuzberg, Berlin, although a little bit more dispersed in current times. Uh, yeah, and we raised um, a 30 million uh, Series A last year. So yeah, it, it, we had some really, really rough times. And I think we were a little bit early. It's very symptomatic of companies that have been in the space for so long to have pivoted a couple of times just because the space is changing so fast. But it's amazing that you were able to do so successfully and also raise a funding round back then when, like you said, a card issuing partner canceled on you and your banking partner as well. How were you able to convince them to trust you again? So we had, we were lucky in that we knew Tim Rader. Tim has uh, recently been promoted to a partner at Early Bird. And Tim was formerly the CEO of Qubits, which was a Bitcoin exchange headquartered in London, but with development here in Berlin. And they were actually working in the co-working space that we founded to like basically share and create an ecosystem with other cryptocurrency companies. So we knew, knew Tim pretty well because we were doing similar stuff in the, in the same space. And then he started at, uh, at Early Bird and then um, it was very much a personal connection and kind of knowledge of the team and being able to vouch for the team that, yeah, got us through. In early stage uh, VCs, like Series A, uh, Seed, like it's especially about the team, right? So that remains the case, but I think it's even more so in the very early stages. Gotcha. So a very crypto savvy investor as part of Early Bird, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about this unique setup that you have at Bitwalla, where you have, you're not just a wallet, but you're actually a bank with an integrated wallet. And this really resonates with my vision of crypto and banking eventually converging and users basically just having one interface where their fiat currencies and their digital assets, such as Bitcoin and, you know, equity in form of tokens and, and all of that is uh, basically aggregated. And I think there are a few companies in this space that yeah, embody this vision more than, than Bitwalla. So I'm really curious to hear more about the setup and the advantages you think it brings to the table, both for you as a company strategically, but also from an end user perspective. That's a big question. I would say that Maybe it's good just to outline our kind of our, our broad vision. So I think in the future, we will still need banking, but we won't necessarily need banks, right? If you ask yourself what a bank is, it's a company with a special license from the government, which is able to do the certain things with people's money. When Bitcoin came on the scene and now with centralized finance, we see more and more that we can have these financial services without any form of, of central organization, right? I believe that in the future, I don't know when, but let's just say 30 years for the sake of argument, we could have replaced private banks and central banks with smart contracts. 
and we're just living in, in this very transparent and open financial system. Um, I don't believe that um, sovereign states are going to relinquish their control, but it will probably be some kind of permission smart contract, you know, where they can still control the money supply to a certain extent. But I believe that you know, the whole of our financial infrastructure will migrate to the blockchain. This is just because technically and operationally, that would be a way better equilibrium than, than what we have now. If you look at the global banking system, it's pretty much just a reconciliation machine. Like you send a message to your bank saying, hey, I want to make a super transfer to this guy. And then they will sync it with like Bundesbank, will then sync it with, uh, with the ECB, etc. And it's like this just very slow moving, clunky machine, which is just syncing CSV files between various entities, right? That is the holy grail. And it'll take a long time for us to get there. And I see Bitwala as, as being this bridge that helps us progress from the status quo to what we could have in the future. And so what we've tried to do is to combine blockchain and banking. So there's a number of uh, reasons why, why we're doing this. I think if you look at cryptocurrency or if you look at um, the, the, the blockchain space historically, um, it has pretty much provided uh, kind of one of the four financial pillars. I define the four financial pillars as kind of um, saving, investing, borrowing, and spending, for example. And pretty much you've been able to uh, invest in cryptocurrency, and then you're able to get a return, and then you, you know, it, it appreciates in value, and then you can sell it, and then you can earn money. Great. There is, of course, some spending and some use of cryptocurrency as a currency in places like Venezuela and Argentina, but in the West that hasn't happened so much. So until now, because cryptocurrency has basically been an asset that people buy to hold and then sell when it goes up, you've been able to rely mainly on exchanges. But when we see a disruption, not only in, in asset classes, but also in other financial services like savings and like uh, borrowing, for example, then it's better to have a banking setup, right? Like a banking license, because a bank can do all of these things. A bank isn't just brokering your funds from euro into, into a specific asset. With a banking license in Germany, we could issue loans. And one thing that we're thinking about doing in the future is, well, right now, if you have a stock portfolio on Trade Republic or um, you know, Comdirect or any of, any of the big banks, there's only a very small number of them that let you take out a loan against your stock portfolio. So you, you basically, if you needed cash, you would have to sell that, which then becomes a taxable event. And it's like, what the fuck? You know, like this should be a no-brainer. If, if you're kind of diversified, like through the DAX or S&P 500, you should be able to borrow against it relatively easily, right? But that just isn't possible today. And, and so that is something that we could do as a bank, but not as an exchange, for example. I would say, broadly speaking, we do what we do because of the rate of innovation in decentralized finance compared to traditional finance. So if you look at uh, fintech, I would argue broadly that it's been able to disrupt the distribution of financial services, but not necessarily the infrastructure itself, right? You have the, the neobanks like N26, uh, Monzo, and they're using the, the same old banking in the background, but then they have a wonderful user interface on the top. You have uh, like TransferWise and Venmo, which are basically layer two solutions on fiat because Swift sucks, so we need TransferWise, and Interbank Payment sucks, so we need Venmo, for example. So FinTech has, has been a wonderful progression, and I, I love using N26 and Revolut and, and TransferWise and all of these companies, but it, it has been a gradual progression from old finance into kind of a, a nice interface that we have today. Whereas with DeFi, we actually have the first opportunity to disrupt 
the, in, the, the infrastructure itself. So I, I think we can see, I think we can see a, a more fundamental level of change. So for example, like replacing Swift with something like with instant clearing globally and, you know, at, at much cheaper fees. So this is something that we will see in DeFi, but it's naive to think that you don't need a regulated bridge between yeah. the DeFi world and the current world. And so what we want to do with our technical setup and with our legal setup is basically make DeFi more accessible to a greater number of people earlier. Gotcha. Uh, so we're, we're not going to be like the Argents who um, give you a direct access to all of the protocols. And um, what we want to do is to create more mainstream use cases out of the DeFi that we see today. Our setup, uh, what we have is um, yeah, a, a banking setup. So you get a, a full Euro bank account and you get a cryptocurrency wallets, which are currently non-custodial. And you have the ability to trade between the wallets and the bank account. For people today, this solves the problem of balancing between spendability and tradability. So if you have your funds on your bank account, then you can spend it whenever you want. But then you need to send them to an exchange in order to buy more crypto, for example. And also, if you keep your, your crypto on an exchange, it's a custodial wallet, so you have this risk of losing it. What we've done is try to solve that problem by allowing you to have both the spendability and the tradability in one platform. And what this means to people is a high degree, degree of liquidity. So with Bitwala, you can sell crypto and then it's going to be on your bank account in a short amount of time and you can use it to pay your rent or put down a deposit on a house or just use your card or whatever you want. Yeah, so those are the advantages today for, for users and the part before was basically what this setup enables you to do in the future. And yeah, there was, there was a lot of interesting stuff that you said. One part was the fact that basically... A lot of finance today or innovation in finance has just been kind of a yeah, distribution and nice nice front-end interfaces, but the infrastructure is very old. And you mentioned that potentially crypto could replace something like Swift. And I, I saw recently that one Swiss bank called Bank Frick um, announced that they would support USDC transfers as an alternative to Swift transfers. So banks, so bank users or companies that would use Bank Frick and had invoices to pay in, in other countries outside of the EU could basically use a stablecoin to uh, yeah, send money from A to B. And I thought it's super interesting because we saw like a lot of new banks integrate TransferWise, for example, for, to, to solve exactly that problem. The fact that Swift is so bad and they used yeah, a centralized a company transfer-wise in the back end to manage all these cross-border transfers. And I would like to know if, if you think that this is a direction that you think we're going to see more like the next generation of neobanks taking with like crypto in the back end to send money from A to B. And if you guys at Bitwalla are considering it, for example. Yeah. So I, I think what Bankfrick is, is doing is, is, is really cool. Bankfrick was doing a lot of banking during the, the ICO uh, craze and has like positioned itself as like being this uh, yeah, very crypto-friendly, blockchain-friendly bank account. Um, the, like the fact that it's supporting USDC for cross-border transfers is, is probably little more than a press release at the moment. I don't mean that in a patronizing way. I think it's great that we have that level of innovation. But because of the level of connectedness of the financial system, the kind, it kind of needs to happen like the protocol there, right? you need a number of banks to all agree that they're going to make this change together. 
and like that's why finance moves so slowly to a certain point um you know it has to be very robust very secure and you need to have m many parties agree on 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 like a hard fork of uh, of the way that finance is going to work all at the same time effectively with regards to neobanks what we see is kind of now a second wave of neobanks emerging you had the first wave which was like the chime the monzo the n26s and they were just like hey we're a bank but we don't have to go to a physical location anymore and you can just do it entirely on your phone and that's that's great right you know, I, I hated the opening a bank account in Germany the first time. It's fucking stupid and confusing. And yeah, I got my my account got closed down because I was like overdrawn or something, but they never even like texted me. So anyway. Now you probably have ten different neo banks because it's so easy opening them online, right? Yeah, absolutely. Apparently that's bad for my credit score, but you know, um, uh, he goes the shit. Uh, so <laughs> uh, we had this first wave of neo banks and it was like they could basically monetize or at least get traction on this value proposition of being a very sexy user experience on top of old banking. And that's great. Now what we're seeing is a second wave of neobanks. Uh, so we're seeing um, like Tomorrow Bank, for example, which is like an ecological bank. And we're seeing Bewala, which is you know, a bank for, for digital assets and, and DeFi. And um, there's even some kind of local community banks. So there's a bank which is um, very uh, heavily in the Catalonia region. So it's kind of like, you know, like that's a twist. So now we're seeing like the second wave of neobanks. Um, we're also seeing neobanks for freelancers, neobanks for um, SMEs. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, ne like the, the, the cryptocurrency angle um, or the DeFi angle is, is a very kind of good differentiator for neobanks. And we will see more neobanks launching with this. But neobanks aren't really in a position to start doing, doing the stuff like Bank Frick and um, supporting USDC for cross-border transfers. Why? Well, they don't have the license for the first five years, right? Like, I think, uh, I think N26 um, was at least like four or five years in before they got their own license. Um, getting your own license has incredible fixed costs at the start. And then it kind of makes economic sense like later on if you scale to a very high number. If we had done that, it would have just been a nightmare for us, right? We would have been focusing the whole year on getting a license opposed to, you know, building our product. And it's really only when you control your own license that you're able to, to make these kind of calls. So I'm not saying that, um, that it's impossible. It's not just like a neobank can have a, a wonderful new idea and then disrupt the whole of the financial system. If it were that easy, it would have been done before. But for example, you as a company, you, I mean, you have a banking license that you kind of borrow from the Solaris Bank, but you could, for example, facilitate stablecoin transfers via the wallet that you have integrated or would you need a license for that as well because the crypto part doesn't actually require a license right to everything you need as a as a user is a bit wallet that in addition to supporting bitcoin and ethereum like you currently do you just need to support more assets basically but maybe there's also like a, a big uh, you know regulation part to it that I don't know if, but would be interesting to know what blocks you today from adding yeah, stable coins, for example, and thereby allowing users to send money anywhere in the world in, in minutes, basically. Yep. So there's actually um, nothing on a regulatory side that's blocking us from doing that. We could definitely uh, implement uh, stable coins and then our users could send them to, to any address. With Bank Frank, I guess there's some kind of like international payment context that is provided with the USDC, for example, like the way your question is phrased. Um, 
sport cross-border transfers. I, I would guess there's some element of that, though I, I'm afraid I, I'm not so sure of the details. So no, um, like the rise of stable coins is something phenomenal, and we've we've seen like a crazy increase this year, right? Uh, I don't know how many it was, it was like 400, 500 percent last time I looked, and yeah, th- I think that's a really cool use case of blockchain. At the start, we looked at Bitcoin as a remittance like a solver, right? Mm-hmm. But that never really happened because of the uh, because of the volatility, except in in, in some countries that I mentioned earlier. So yeah, this is a, a really cool use case. Related to that question also, so what is blocking a company like Bitwalla that kind of has the fiat on-ramp and the, the, the bank account as well as the crypto wallet? What is blo- blocking you from adding stablecoins and also other Ethereum tokens? So um, there's, there's nothing uh, blocking us per se. It's on our roadmap. But what I would say is um, I'm not sure if we're going to support... Uh, and a limited number of ERC20 tokens. We see ourselves as being somewhat of, of, of a curator. So, you know, cryptocurrency is relatively overwhelming. You get a coin market cap and you see like a thousand cryptocurrencies. We think that our job is to get more the early majority into this world. And we believe that part of that is a narrowing of choice to a certain degree. I, I know that that sounds kind of negative, but we actually think that's a way that we can democratize ERC20, uh, cryptocurrencies, um, DeFi. It, it's definitely something on our roadmap. Uh, we what we need is to find a good exchange partner and then kind of duplicate our, our banking setup, so so we can provide this as fast liquidity. But it's something that we're we're looking into, and hopefully we can announce something uh, exciting before the end of the year. Cool, yeah. Because supporting all Ethereum tokens at some point it becomes even a interface issue, right? Where you, I mean, there are like even today already there. Are, thousands of ethereum different ethereum tokens so having them all in in supporting them all in one app is a problem from that point of view and probably a lot of others as well but um so technically it's there's no obstacle really no i think what we would like to do is it'd be relatively easy to add the sc20 tokens to a wallet but we don't want to add them to a wallet unless you can trade them and trade them with, with with a euro pair because like this is what we've been offering to date. And so we, I think it'd be very confusing for our product if you had to go from Euro to Ethereum, then you could use Uniswap to go from yeah, Ethereum to, to Batch, for example. That is yeah not the kind of user experience you want to create. It should be absolutely uh, seamless. And so I think that's why we're not rushing just to add, add this new feature today. Gotcha. Yeah, and one other thing that you said when you explained your vision of banking and uh, crypto converging, that you said like banks would eventually in 20, 30 years use uh, yes, permission smart contracts. And I would like to know more about how you think kind of the permissioned world and the non-permissioned world will coexist because mm-hmm. I think that there's just a big difference with crypto and banking. For example, a crypto wallet, you can just generate it with like, two lines of code in your terminal you can generate a new wallet address and you can basically participate in a whole financial system without anyone knowing your identity kind of so how do you think do you think at some point there will be like a permission side like the internet today where there's like a dark net for like kind of illegal stuff and then there's the rest of the internet where the regulated stuff happens do you think it will be similar where you have like permission smart contracts that are whitelisted by 
the banks and, and uh, user addresses that are whitelisted because they have been KYC'd and then there's the rest or because the fundamental difference with a bank account today is that a bank account, I cannot generate it myself on my computer. I have to go to a bank and they open a bank account for me. So that I, I like technically there's a big difference with crypto where to some extent it cannot be regulated hundred percent. It can only be yeah made more difficult to participate anonymously. And so I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on uh, how this will play out yeah absolutely um how will the crypto utopia look like in the future i i like i said before i, I think we, we have like the the sovereign states that we have today they're unlikely to relinquish power right and they know that unless they have some form of economic control over the people then they don't really have any real controls at all so i, I think there will always exist this concept of a bank but in the future that bank could be um, kind of a smart contract wallet, which is you know um, generated in a somewhat permission way. Um, probably the biggest piece that we're missing today is the identity piece. So to have on-chain KYC, there's lots of other things missing, but maybe this is a kind of something we can focus on to start with. And that would already be really really cool because I mean you signed up for our service, you've probably signed up for some other banks in Germany, and you need to do the the um, ID now process, which is um, yeah. A little bit frustrating too much friction to open an account and like that's kind of ridiculous because you can't reuse it right like if, if i'm signing up for coop one minute and the wallet the next and i you know i should be able to reuse my id but but i can't so i would imagine that we would like go to um some kind of uh, um like agentur and we would like do our passport thing and then we would get like a cryptographic token or something Obviously, we have to be managed in like a very, very uh, user-friendly way. But then, like with this, we would have a government-sanctioned identity, and then we could sign something saying that identity belongs to us, and that we have the intention to open a bank account, and that bank account could be open for us. Maybe the bank account is, is just kind of like an Ethereum address, you know. Um, but I think you know you have things like the deposit um, guarantee scheme, where if the bank goes bankrupt, then your funds are safe up to 100k. This is something that you know the, the the government could basically add as a value added service. Um, of course, we're seeing this kind of thing happen in the crypto space as well, like with Nexus Mutual. But I imagine that there would be um, kind of the government would provide this kind of level of safety and security that would perhaps mean that the mainstream users are still wanting to have a, a bank account wallet rather than just a, a non-custodial wallet entirely. Um, and then I imagine that there would be um, kind of yeah some kind of regulatory privilege of using these services so that is a kind of future i i, I imagine it would be um the the central banks and the uh, private banks um they are all kind of smart contracts and then they can the central banks can, can issue currency um the private banks can kind of store your currency and offer value-added services and that there's some kind of regulatory differentiation and that the entities controlling these smart contracts they've gone through a licensing process this gives them um, certain protections and certain powers to do things with people's money. What is really exciting about this new world is that it is interoperable with anything we can dream of, right? If you look at kind of the advantages of DeFi or tokenization or blockchain or whatever, you get like a long list of, uh, of things like permissionless, censorship resistance, uh, trustless, decentralized, transparent, programmable, um, all great. But for me, the, the biggest advantage is the rate of innovation. 
And I believe that the rate of innovation will be far higher because of the properties of being standardized and composable. Um, working in fintech, I know that if I want to get a partnership together, then I just have to start with a load of lawyers and contracts, you know, and it's like, okay, this is a work in Germany, but not in Switzerland. And it's like, it's just, it's, it's so siloed. It's um, so like, legally dominated. It's not about tech, frankly. It's about, it's about kind of getting tech and law to fit together in a nice way. Whereas in DeFi, you can kind of just code a, a new banking piece of functionality over the weekend, right? And you can release it open source, and you can deploy it, and then suddenly everyone can use it. Um, and the, this, to me, is why I believe that DeFi will, will evolve far quicker than traditional fintech. And then if we have this rate of innovation, then that's awesome for people because there's more competition. Uh, there's just a, yeah, a, a better level of, of service and variety of services. And this is going to be fueled by kind of central organizations like banks and central banks moving to something like Ethereum where they can then issue their own currency. Like that is kind of roughly how I see it. I see it as, as something positive. We can get, um, I think there's wins for the government as well. Like I think a money laundering will be way more difficult if we're all just on, on public ledgers. And ultimately I think it'll breed a lot more innovation for, for people like you and me. Yeah. Speaking about decentralized finance, I'll quickly summarize what decentralized finance is just for the listeners who maybe haven't heard about it. So decentralized finance is basically an area in, in the crypto space that tries to copy financial activities that are today used through like intermediaries such as lending, trading, borrowing, and a lot of others and replacing them by autonomous smart contracts that run on the Ethereum blockchain and can be used by anyone. And yeah, these smart contracts are basically decentralized and, and governed in a, in a decentralized manner. And th this area of crypto is getting a lot of traction. And I, I was wondering if Bitwalla is going to try to leverage uh, these new applications. And if so, which ones you would look at integrating first? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us, this is a no-brainer. In fact, I think we're probably going more in the direction of decentralized finance and we are adding more cryptocurrencies. There's already a lot of great solutions for trading crypt cryptocurrencies. What we want to do in our position as a bank is offer these, these financial services, right? And, and we believe we can offer far better financial services than other fintechs by swapping out the infrastructure. So it's not exactly, uh, yeah, um, a secret that uh, yeah, a lot of companies are looking at this right now, the ability to offer um, a high yield savings account powered by DeFi lending, for example. Like right now you get 0% in Germany if you deposit in a bank, sometimes even a negative interest rate in some banks, whereas in the DeFi space you have these high yields. So if we could give those to people in a way which didn't involve them having to jump through you know, 12 different steps, downloading MetaMask, et cetera, um, this would be something really powerful, right? I think another application is um, borrowing against your assets. So what we were talking about earlier, right now, you know, you have cryptocurrency, you collateralize it and you can borrow against it. Great. But with the tokenization of real world assets, which is another a massive advantage for us in a regulatory, uh, in a reg regulated state, um, I imagine uh, you being able to borrow against your ETFs, against your stock portfolio. Um, and that's really, really useful. You know, if we collateralize, if you have a collateralized loan, we can offer you far better rates than a traditional bank because there's a you know, limited um, uh, default risk. 
And that is awesome for someone like me who might need, you know, a deposit for a house or, you know, uh, to, to buy a car or something. Like that is the kind of use case that I, I think um, you can really do better than, than, than the traditional fintech players. But these stocks or ETFs today, they're not tokenized, right? They're not really existing on the blockchain. So would you offer this service using traditional stocks or are you trying to just apply this sort of use case for the crypto space? I mean, that's, that's the thing. Um, to do it with traditional stocks would be really, really difficult, right? Because um, it, it, it's still, you know, it's still relatively old-fashioned how this is done. You have these um, central clearinghouses, you know, where like the stocks live and these are actually um, kind of geofenced to one country. And like, it's possible. There are actually some banks doing it in Germany today, but, it, but it's complicated. The beauty of, of blockchain, of tokenization, of DeFi, is that we can compose these things together. And so if we have a stock or you know, an ETF, uh, which is suddenly in a token form, then we can put it into whatever kind of protocol that we would like. And so then it becomes very, very easy for us. So um, a user could, uh, yeah, could have, a, have some, some crypto, they could have some stocks with us. Um, and as long as they're in a blockchain a native format, then we can uh, take temporary ownership of those as collateral and then provide these. And right now that isn't available. You know, we're just beginning to see the tokenization of real world assets, but that is definitely where the world is heading, right? Absolutely, yeah. And adding to the experience of um, stocks being a nightmare to, to handle as a bank, I have once tried to move my stocks from one bank in Germany to another bank in Germany, and it took me like five days and a lot of paperwork um, so sending to another country is even more difficult and i think you can only transfer to another bank account that you own but you can not really send it to someone completely else like you can send money for example to a friend you cannot send like your f stocks to a friend and yeah i think there's just so much to improve even more than just on the pure like banking side stocks and, and equity all of that is is where crypto is really 100 times better i would say yeah i, I guess like one, one of the frustrating things about cryptocurrency is that bitcoin and blockchain were invented at the same time right so the the, the, the two are kind of they are inseparable but you know they the blockchain needs to be seen as its own separate entity it's like the technology cryptocurrency is an application and you know bitcoin was, was the first application of, of blockchain But if you if you look at kind of how how it really is, you how you can have um, kind of the, the value natively on chain uh, like Bitcoin, and you can have the, the value off chain. Um, like I can you know I can tokenize my house, or whatever. Um, and this is the this is what people are really waking up to now, and, and like, that's really exciting to see. Who is a um, typical Bitwala user? Would you say there are more beginners who you know don't know how to use an exchange that's quite confusing with a lot of charts or is it um yeah an advanced user that likes to have that also is using you know an exchange but has bitwala as a as a second option and because they like having a bank account that's very like crypto friendly um and then also related to that do, are they using do you have a lot of users who use bitwala as their primary bank account or is it yeah just their bank account number xyz we, we kind of have two main groups of users um we have the 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 day traders the people who trade a lot and for them bitwala is part of their trading stack 
So we offer a really fast form of liquidity. You can get the crypto off the exchange into the wireless wallet, and then you can trade it. And then you have you know, that cash available in whichever spendable format you want very, very quickly. And so even though we, we charge uh, higher fees than an exchange directly, and we still have people uh, paying us um, for this premium service of high liquidity. And that's awesome. But aggregately, we see three times as much buy volume as sell volume. And also looking at kind of the statistics of how our customers use us, we see a lot of people getting into crypto through us. Our customers are a little bit older than you might think. So I think like the median age is around 35. And we have people with disposable income often who have uh, thought about getting into crypto, but then always were blocked by something or, 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 or the other thing. Using an exchange is intimidating for lots of people, right? You know, you don't know kind of like, okay, what's the stop loss order? Okay, uh, like what's slippage, you know? I'm like, oh, too many charts. Like I've never seen candles before. And so some people are put off by that, that kind of user interface. Um, and if you ask yourself, what is the one fintech product that everyone has already used? Well, it's a bank account, right? So by, the, by this familiar nature of this mobile bank account, we get more people to get involved with cryptocurrency than we would otherwise if we were just like, hey, we're, we're your broker or we're your exchange. And there's also, of course, uh, the trust aspect. So um, we offer a bank account and uh, it's also a German bank account. So, you know, we kind of double down on this, uh, you can trust this kind of thing, um, which is super important. I mean, we saw this like Twitter bullshit uh, like a couple of weeks ago, which is like, I know like when the Bitcoin news reaches, reaches my mom and she asked me about it, that's when it's like got to the mainstream. Um, and it's like that, that kind of thing is going to keep on happening, happening and it's frustrating. And uh, yeah, we are in a long battle to try and uh, share the benefits of cryptocurrency and show that, you know, it's like a tool like the internet. It can be used for good and it can be used for bad. Yeah, yeah, because for me, it makes more sense to use Bitwalla as a primary bank account as well, because that's where you really reap the most benefits of um, yeah all its features. Because if you use it, for example, as your salary account, and every month you have your you know euros coming in, then it's uh, yeah you always have liquidity there, and whenever the market conditions are ripe, you can just like instantly convert because your euros are already there. But if you use it as your second account, you also have that problem where you first have to send euros from your main account to Bitwalla and then uh, and then sell. But it's still probably a bit faster and you can also send crypto to your Bitwalla wallet in the case you want to sell and then you have instant liquidity and can spend it with your Bitwalla card, which we haven't talked about, but it's also a very cool feature. So yeah, it, so it would be interested to know um, how many users you think use it as a as a primary bank account yeah um so we we're, we're, we're trying to figure out this number and there's different ways of calculating it uh um so i think we were looking at um percentage like percentage of users who um deposited at least two thousand euros in consecutive months uh and uh, i can't remember um, exactly what the percentage was like i think it was maybe around around five percent of active user base this is great that people trust us that much. Uh, and yeah, I guess um, I guess the cool thing about Bitwaller is, you know, if you send your money to an exchange, then it's stuck there. Whereas with us, you know, if, if you want to buy it, great. If you don't, then you can still use it to do all the normal things. We actually have a lot of debates internally about what we should focus on. Um, because obviously with this kind of mixture of, of different products, we're kind of like investment platform and we're a neobank. Um, and kind of our strategy is to um, really double down on on, the, on what we do best. So like the high level of liquidity, um, like kind of the simple cryptocurrency trading uh, for now. And then in uh, 
like kind of, yeah, maybe in the beginning of 2021, we'll start ramping up the near banking side of things and then really try and position ourselves as being your primary bank account. Because if yeah. we were just like, hey guys, move your salary here. Well, um, someone someone like you might consider that who's, you know, uh, dreaming about, about Bitcoin every single night, um, or sorry, Ethereum rather. Both, <laughs> both. <laughs> Uh, but um, it, it, I don't think it would um, work so much as a positioning strategy at the moment, uh, but it's something that we'll work up to later. Yeah, this was actually going to be my next question because, yeah, the, the, the pace in the fintech world or new bank world is also quite fast. Nowadays, it's almost yeah crucial that you have Apple Pay support and Google Pay and whatnot, like pockets to save money, like put spare change in and save for your life goals etc so obviously you guys at bitwala you have also to focus on the on the crypto side and so okay your, i guess the answer is that you're focusing on crypto for now and then eventually you will ramp up the new bank side as well yeah that's correct cool cool one question i wanted to ask was about the bitcoin interest account so you added the ability for users to deposit their Bitcoin and earn interest on it. So maybe let's start with how has this been received by users so far? Is it is it a success? And how was your first experience so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we partnered with uh, Celsius a little while ago, um, and we have this this full integration where you can move your Bitcoin from your non-custodial wallet. Uh, to uh, Celsius, and then you can begin to earn interest on that. And currently, that's around 4%. So I think it was a really cool product uh, for the timing because we released it soon after halving. And so you had this uh, deflationary asset, Bitcoin, in times of crazy money printing during COVID. And then, you know, Bitcoin halved, and there was even less Bitcoin. And then if you're going to hold Bitcoin, like 60% of users do, then you might as well earn interest on that. So we saw a pretty good reception from our customers. We also researched it before. So I think 60% of our customers who held Bitcoin said they would be interested in, in, in earning interest in it. Um, and then we've seen uh, a yeah, relatively good uptake in terms of active users and uh, an AUM since launch. With the cryptocurrency world, you have a whole spectrum of users. And of course, we had uh, some pushback saying, uh, not your keys, not your coins, which I totally get. You know, and there, there is, of course, risk. There's no such thing as a free lunch. We did a solid uh, vetting of a number of different players um, and we landed on Celsius as, as being the one that we were most confident about. But that's kind of the beauty of cryptocurrency. You know, it, it can be non-custodian. And for some people, that's absolutely essential. For others, it's not. But I, I think what is very important is that it can be, uh, right? And you can always get out of this control of a centralized entity. And yeah, I, I, people don't really realize that as much now as they did back in the day. We probably need something big to happen. But yeah, like uh, that is kind of how, how, I, how I see it, that we, we give users the, the choice. Yeah. I wanted to also ask you about, uh, there was one story recently on Coindesk where the author claimed that for some loans, Celsius was not requiring 100% collateral for the loan. So the reason why it's relatively riskless to lend money to these crypto lenders, so in form of Bitcoin or Ether, is that the borrower on the other side has to deposit a high amount of collateral. So the, the loan is always secured. The borrower can not just run away because they've put in a lot of money with, with the lender. Um, now, this author was claiming 
that Celsius was not always requiring the highest amount of collateral that's kind of the norm in the space. And I'm fully aware that this can be wrong, basically. But just in general, I wanted to know how do you go about vetting the different providers when you chose Celsius and how do you protect yourself from, let's say, defaults or this kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it's a really valid question. And um, yeah, uh, the articles that came out in, in Coindesk, I mean, I think in a certain way, it's good, because we should constantly be challenging ourselves as a community. Um, and, yeah, you know, we saw what happened with, with Mt. Gox um, and like numerous hacks, like this sets everyone back, right? So I, I think that we should hold each other to a very high level of scrutiny. And, and so yeah, I, I invite uh, Cointelegraph and, and Coindesk, you know, to, to carry on uh, challenging Fuala and, and any of its partners. With regards to uh, yeah, what was um, what was uh, what was written in the, in the article, yeah. So what it brought to light was a small number of loans from Celsius are not are not required to be fully collateralized. Um, I think this is uh, to do with the nature of um, the people borrowing on on Celsius side. So they 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 make loans to a small number of institution, institutional clients around one hundred, and uh, I guess it's that relationship that allows them to trust in that, in that certain way. I think. What we see here is kind of why we need DeFi, right? With DeFi, this this wouldn't be a thing. It wouldn't be the case that you can have this level of, of intransparency. And as DeFi evolves more and more, I think we will kind of see increasing pressure on these DeFi providers to kind of justify themselves and be even more open with their books. Of course, Bitcoin is a little bit unique. It doesn't just uh, plug into the um, to the DeFi ecosystem unless you know. Bitcoin on Ethereum, which is like a whole nother topic. And in terms of how we vetted them, um, yeah, we, we went into their financials and had like a very thorough look at like their partners and their lending practices. I can't go into too much detail in the call. Um, but yeah, we, we judge ourselves by our partners and, and the selection of our partners. And uh, given that we're a relatively major partner for Celsius, what we're pushing for now is kind of a way that we can be even more transparent with our customers and have knowledge of exactly what was happening with our customers' funds every single time. That's really cool. Yeah, I also actually wrote an article on the risks in the crypto lending space. And I would really like to see more transparency in the CeFi space. So there's a lot of things that can be done to be more transparent. And for example, proof of reserves where crypto lenders can show how much collateral they hold on chain basically because that's really what the blockchain is so good for right and now we're kind of losing those advantages but was there a reason you chose a bitcoin interest account first before starting with ethereum and yeah those DeFi protocols that also allow interest accounts but not for bitcoin more for other assets like stable coins and ethereum yeah, I, I guess kind of two two major reasons. Like one is that um, we came from a Bitcoin community. We kind of grew up in Room Twenty Seven, and our customers trade more Bitcoin than they do Ethereum, and so that was uh, yeah. And, and the AUM is way higher, so it, it kind of makes more sense in terms of bringing value to our customers. And also, like this product was not easy to get live. You know, we we spent um, countless hours together with our with our partner bank Slaris, kind of explaining and doing BD. Um, and getting approval from you know compliance and risk etc. This becomes harder if there's a protocol involved. 
you know, like um, this kind of cooperation between um, between banks and partners, you know, trying to explain to them, oh yeah, there's not like a legal entity, there's not like a London Limited, it's like, you know, a smart contract that was deployed last week at Domainnet. Okay, great. Um, you know, you, you don't get particularly far. So in, it, it was easier to provide this kind of service for the centralized player at this time because of the nature of our business. What we have now is a really robust solution of uh, bringing DeFi in a regulated way to a large number of people. And again, I really hope that we can get something out in public and uh, well used by the end of the year. Do you think your customers are going to receive the DeFi integrations well if they're more like on the Bitcoin side of things or uh, have you done any research there? I mean, I think it depends on depends on what you what you integrate, right? I, I don't like this whole battle between like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Like I don't think it's really like productive or even like sensical. So I, we haven't had like, oh, I think we had like one customer who was like, um, can I hide Ethereum inside of Bitwallet? Because it was like, the, it was just you know, offensive to him. It's like CTA to create an Ethereum wallet. But like overall, I think, um, you know, the kind of customers that we have are always uh, looking to, to explore new things um, and to interface with this new world in, in a new, new secure way. And yeah, I, I really hope that we can offer kind of a Euro savings account so people can, uh, can earn interests on Euro. So taking out the, the volatility of cryptocurrency. And I think that would be a product that, that everyone would love. Yeah, let's finish by you outlining the future plans for Bitwalla. I mean, you have mentioned a couple But maybe just to summarize it and maybe if there's anything you haven't mentioned so far, what can we expect for the next two, three, four, five months? Yeah, I, I would say we see ourselves as, as being a, a guide and a curator through this new creation of financial innovation. So, so DeFi is going gonna, is gonna to do absolutely incredible things. It's going to be too difficult for people to use it. What we want to do is to craft usable use cases out of this new financial innovation that we have. I'm not just talking about user experience, but I also think that people want a fiat on an off-ramp into this new world, right? People are used to thinking in euros and dollar, like opposed to Ethereum, and like gas needs to be completely abstracted. It's great if there's a, a central, centralized counterparty, because that's what people are used to. You know, they're used to picking up the phone and calling customer service. So this is the kind of value layer that we add. We add a technical and a regulatory uh, value layer around DeFi, and we turn DeFi protocols and products into, into services that our users want to use. Um, in terms of uh, what is on the roadmap for, um, for the rest of the year, yeah, I can't um, reveal too many spoilers, um, but uh, actually one thing that is interesting to talk about, I guess, um, especially uh, given the person I'm speaking to currently, um, we actually are integrating uh, a custodial wallet as well. So that we'll give our users the choice of having a non-custodial or a custodial or both. This is because... A lot of our users are asking for features that we can't currently provide. For example, um, spend crypto at point of sale with a card, which of course we can't do right now because only you own your crypto. Things like uh, crypto roundups, crypto cashback, um, like small things that require uh, smaller transactions, which you know would be um, very cumbersome to do on chain. And so, like this is kind of the biggest change that you'll see in Bitwaller in, in, in the rest of the year. This option of using a custodial or a non-custodial wallet. And then I really hope we can get our first um, DeFi integration out before the end of end of this year as well. Very cool, very cool. I'm excited. So users will choose a custodial or non-custodial wallet when they sign up, or is it also an existing user can add a custodial wallet in hindsight? What we will probably do is to 
give everyone a custodial wallet and then they can choose to create a non-custodial wallet uh, if they want. Um, the reason we do it like this is because you can't generate a non-custodial wallet automatically for the user. Or, you know, you can, but then you're basically generating the keys for them or storing them on the device. And, you know, I, I think it's better that users write down the keys yeah. at the point of integration. And so this is how it will be. And then, yeah, you, you'll, you'll be able to trade from both. Um, and then there'll be some features which are only available on the custody yeah. wallet. Uh, for example, um, crypto beam moving between uh, two customers on an on-chain ledger without any 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 gas or any 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 transaction fees. Um, this is something that we can do with custodial, but we can't do it in a custodial way. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool also because it will make Bitwala a very suitable option to send a friend to who is not very familiar with crypto. So they can start really with a custodial wallet and then within the same app, they can then go the next step to a non-custodial wallet, which I think is the most crucial step is that that's when you really understand crypto when you do your first like on-chain transaction and so i think you guys will be the first wallet that will have both options available to the user at least to my knowledge and i've seen a couple of wallets i, I i'm really glad you picked up on that because I, i actually think that we can get more people using non-custodial wallets by starting off with a custodial wallet right you, you get them in you educate them you're like hey this is how great it is you know you're trading now awesome And then you can kind of say, well, look, you've got 10K now. What, you know, why don't you put some of it in a non-custodial wallet and kind of educate the user and get them, get them stuck deep, deep, deep down the crypto rabbit hole as quickly as possible. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, the future looks bright and I root for Bitwala. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, it's me again. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, please feel free to share it with your friends and family or give us a follow on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if you have some feedback, reach out to me. I'd love to hear it. 